Hello everyone, this is the Audience Explorer, a podcast for you as a founder or creator who wants to develop an audience for your product or service. I'm Matthias Bohlen. Hey everyone, this is Matthias from Get the Audience again with the Audience Explorer podcast. And today I'm so happy to have a guest again. It's Corey Haynes. Corey is a marketer, a maker, and a pug owner. And that's um, me. <laughs> so nice to have you here. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, super stoked to be here in the chat. Cool. Corey, you have been the head of growth at Bear Metrics and several other occasions that you had in your in your lifetime. What are you doing today? Yeah, today I split my time between consulting and do marketing for early stage B2B SaaS companies. Uh -huh. I also do a little bit of like advisory work and sort of mentoring slash coaching. It's kind of like a fuzzy, I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but it's basically just, you know, advisory work for companies. And then I also work on Swipe Files, which is my membership site, community for marketers. And so it doesn't always work out to be 50-50, but those are the two main things right now where I spend my time. Ah, yeah. So what is what is Swipe Files all about? A community, you say? Yeah. So Swipe Files is basically, it started out as just like a kind of library of teardowns of uh -huh. landing pages and ads and emails. And I started, it was a kind of a, a pandemic business. Started working <laughs> on that in uh, March of 2020 and uh, launched it. And basically I was writing like these weekly teardowns of just, you know, good marketing examples that I would see around the web because it was something that I personally kind of felt the need for. I also had a separate idea, like in my log of, of ideas for a marketing community, because there's, I can never really find one that I've found that I felt a part of either because they were too kind of noisy and spammy or because they were too like high ticket and exclusive. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. and so I had that idea in mind. And then when I went full-time on my own, I left Parametrics, I decided to sort of bolt that on and sort of add that as one of the main parts of Swipe Files and to build a, a marketing community, a private marketing community, a paid one also, because that way it would drastically reduce the amount of spam and sort of shady characters that are in there. And maybe people would feel more inclined to you know, be engaged, to share openly. And so today Swipe Files is basically a membership site. The main part of it now is the community for sure. I haven't touched the teardowns in a while, but there's still that library back there. There's also a curated Swipe File that I offer. And then I have this podcast and newsletter, which are more marketing efforts, but still open to members as well and kind of all under the Swipe Files brand. Cool. That's a lot of stuff. Really a lot of stuff. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what, it's, it's what, a juggling act. Yeah, right. So so what can people typically find in, in Swipe Files when when I'm I'm a member, so I, I know it, but I, I want to hear it from you in your words. Yeah, I mean, when you in, in the community, it's very asynchronous. And so it's funny, actually, I try to strike a balance between like, you know, not making it too busy so that people would feel like overwhelmed. And I think eventually we'll probably get there just as the community grows, but like just, you know, trying to keep things fairly calm and like high quality. But you come in, you know, there's posts like we do a work in public roundup on Mondays where we all talk about what we're working on, we do like a wins Wednesday, we have Think Tank Thursday where we you know, feature a business and we try to crowdsource ideas. There's random posts in between, you know, of like things we're learning or noteworthy marketing examples that other people find, questions, feedback, people try to get answered. So when you come in, I mean, what I, what I hope people see when they come in is a bunch of smiley faces and welcome from other members, but it really just depends on the week. You know, that's the fun part of, of, about a community as well. So it's, it's so diverse and varied and it just every week is different. 
Yeah, I really enjoy that. When when I heard about it, I thought, oh, what's this? I, I read your homepage and I found it really interesting and I joined. And really, the people are so friendly and, and giving feedback to each other. So it's it's a really amazing service. I'm glad to have you as well. Thank you. How, how did this all start? What was the, how did you get the idea for Swipe Files? Yeah, so I had, at the time I was the head of growth at Biometrics, and I think it was in about like November, December-ish, I was spinning up the affiliate program for Biometrics, which is a B2B SaaS company. And I thought, okay, you know, we have it kind of like technically set up now, like we use a tool called Rewardful, which is really good, but now we need to actually set up a page and have like a launch strategy to a launch strategy to recruit affiliates. I was like, what the heck goes on a landing page to recruit affiliate partners? I have no idea. Like I've never done this before. I don't know mm -hmm. what the best practices mm -hmm. are, what makes a good affiliate page, like what's interesting, you know, what should really be included there. And so I didn't really want to like start from scratch and just guess. So I went around, I tried to find other SaaS companies with affiliate programs and see what their landing pages were like. I reached out to people who had started, you know, affiliate programs and that's what their their input was, their feedback was, kind of get their ideas of what worked and what didn't work. And then after a couple of weeks, I finally felt like I had enough information gathered around, okay, these are the good examples, these are the bad examples, do this, don't do that. And I figured, man, that was a lot of work. And like, there's a lot of other things that I don't have a ton of experience with directly. I wish there was just some sort of library of examples that I could pull from and draw from. So I don't have to start from scratch. I don't have to reinvent the wheel and just, you know, try okay. to guess my ah, way through I see. it. Yeah. And so that was the original impetus for the, the idea for Swipe Files. I'm a second language English speaker. What, what exactly is, uh, does to swipe mean in this, in this context? Right, right. Yeah. So a swipe file, even for a lot of English speakers, for people who are not marketers mainly, even a lot of marketers don't know. It's sort of like this funny jargony word that people made up. But basically you have this idea of like, you know, designers have mood boards and authors and people really into like personal knowledge management have a Zettelkasten or some sort mm -hmm, of, you mm -hmm. know, sophisticated not, you know, note taking system. And marketers have swipe files. Basically, If I, if, I, if I keep a folder of really good taglines and ads and emails and landing pages and just, you know, swipe them, right? To, to swipe is to kind of to steal or to take. Okay, or, I see. You know, or to, yeah, basically just to, to grab it. Then I'm going to have some sort of inspiration for the future that I can draw from, some, something to reference, right? Something to right. skim through and see, you know, how are other people doing this? And, you know, when I need some copywriting inspiration, some de design inspiration, something to pull from that I've personally curated. So it's similar to the to the writer's problem when they sit in front of a blank page, right, and and ask themselves how how on earth do I get started uh, exactly. with this, right? Yeah, I mean, I think all of us to a certain degree face that same problem. Like I said, you know, artists face a blank a blank canvas, authors face a blank you know blinking screen, Google Doc, marketers <laughs> face a blank blinking landing page possibly or ad or, or email or whatever it is and all of them actually i think everyone fundamentally solves this problem in the same way which is we all really do start from some sort of inspiration i think it was you know there's some sort of paraphrased version and it's a little bit bastardized at this point but it's great artists or sorry good artists borrow great artists steal and it's basically the thought that it's not actually stealing but it's sampling right you're actually you're going and you're taking yeah, yeah. ideas and you're remixing them for yourself You're saying, oh, I really like that. I think that basically I'm going to take what this person does really, really well and spin this for myself, right? And then you kind of, 
where everything's a remix in, in life, you know, and it's right. new under the sun. We're all sort of kind of remixing other ideas and mixing and mashing and, and, and trying to put our own kind of spin or color on it. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very universal problem. And this is, so swipe file is the way that marketers solve this problem. Okay, I see. Swipe file. Apropos marketers, could you describe your audience of, of this of these marketers a little bit? What what is a typical? Is there a, a, thing, a thing like a typical marketer, or are they all very diverse people? For swipe files? Yeah, your audience for swipe files in particular. Yeah, you know it's interesting. It's it's accidentally and on purpose a bit very very diverse. Part of my uh -huh. like core kind of beliefs and values and like theses for swipe files is that given the nature of a swipe file, like the best inspiration comes actually from really like disparate and kind of like very vastly just different ideas and industries and spaces. And so for example, like, you know, the best ideas if you really want to be like innovative in marketing, don't, yeah. you know, if I'm a B2B SaaS marketer, don't look at what other B2B SaaS companies are doing because we're all doing the same thing. Look at what e-commerce companies are doing. Look at what info marketers are doing. Look at what you know SEO people are doing and affiliate marketers are doing. You have to look outside of, you have to get outside the box, so to speak, yeah. right? And so part of my kind of core thesis is that you have to get a really diverse set of ideas and sort of inspiration. And so for the community, I also wanted a really diverse group of people because I think we can all bring something unique to the table and that actually the more different we all are, the better off we're all going to be because we're going to all have something, some unique kind of perspective to bring, right? And some sort of unique experience right. to draw from. And so my audience skews a little bit B2B SaaS, but there's all sorts of different types of marketers, in-house, freelance agencies. It definitely spans between SaaS. We have some e-commerce, we have podcasters, we have uh, a lot of info marketers and sort of affiliate marketers and I'm building, you know, working to build that even more. And then we also have entrepreneurs and founders like yourself, people right, who are not, right. not marketers, maybe even developers, right? But have some sort of thing on the side or even full-time that they're working on, but they're they are forced to wear the marketing hat, right? So yeah, I mean, it's a really diverse group, but I would say the main two segments are marketers and founders and largely skews a bit SaaS and like info affiliate mar or info marketing, like courses, blogs, and communities. Uh-huh. And these these founders like myself, I, I have a little hate and love at the same time for for marketing because sometimes if you're deep into into building stuff and you you run into a problem, sometimes it's really good to step out a little bit and uh, and do something totally different. And so marketing is is always a nice thing to do in that case. On the other hand, I'm not the the typical person who toots his own horn, right? Who is like to toot right. into the world and say, hey, my says it's the best thing in the since bread or something so how are the other founders doing do, uh, do you have any any feedback from them yeah i mean i think everyone faces that same dilemma of feeling self-promotional or like a sellout or yeah. just uncomfortable to promote yourself and what you're working on it's just uncomfortable in general saying hey here's something that i made and you know showcasing it for the world for the for everyone to see and question and critique and give feedback on right it's it's yeah. a judgment of you know we we like to put our self-worth and our value and our our intelligence into our our work and so when our work gets judged then we feel judged right so it can be really uncomfortable one to just put it out there but two to promote it like you said like it's something great and like it's the next best thing uh, since sliced bread but i think actually one of the real kind of breakthroughs comes when you see marketing not so much as 
self-promotion, but more as a service. Seth Godin says oh, can that. Can you tell me more about that? Marketing yeah, as so, a service. So Seth Godin says that marketing is the act of bringing your work into the world in a way that the world can receive it. And basically what he means is if you see marketing as bringing your product to market, right? And putting it in a place where people can get it. And if your product is something that is valuable, useful, helpful, um, that helps people make more money, save time, save money, is enjoyable, entertaining, adds value to someone's life, then it would be a disservice to that person to keep your product from them, right? If it actually can help them and add something to them. Right. So actually, if it helps them in your product, bringing it to market, marketing is a service to that person. When you say, hey, I have this thing that can solve your problem. I have this thing that can help you, you know, achieve your goals. I have this thing that will add value to your life. I think where people get mixed up and I think there's why there's probably such a, a negative taste in people's mouth about marketing is because uh, there's a lot of noise is because there's a lot of things that people are trying to push on people that don't add value to their life where it's irrelevant, right? It's yeah, like, um, yeah. you know, I'm, uh, I live in, in San Diego, California, and I get ads for, I don't know, something in another language. I'm like, you know, what is that? Why would they sell me that? Or maybe I'm, I'm a surfer, right? And I'm getting ads for snowboarding. I don't want ads for snowboarding. I want ads for, for <laughs> surfing, right? right? So it's, it's only when, you know, you're you're being presented with something that's Ill irrelevant where marketing isn't a service, right? But if you're reaching the right people, the marketing is a service. And the unfortunate part is that it's very hard to reach the right people 100% of the time. You have to spread your net a bit wide, right? You have to see if you don't know if people are interested or not interested. So you have to at least go up and ask, hey, is this something interesting to you? No? Okay, that's fine. I'll move on, move on, move on to the next person. But you have to bug them at least that first time, right? So anyways, getting back to that theme of, of service, marketing, really, you want to bring your work into the world in the way the world can receive it. And that's really, in a way that the world can receive it is that second part of the equation, because how do people want to be marketed to, right? For some people, it's it's door to door. For some people, it's a Facebook ad. For some people, it's through Google. For some people, it's social media. For some people, it's word of mouth. I think for a lot of um, That's right. developers, especially in my experience, you know, they don't want to feel like they're being marketed to, but they're being marketed to in one way or another. It's usually through other avenues like a conference or word of mouth through someone else or a referral program. There's some sort of mechanism that's getting uh, your product spread, that's getting your product into other people's hands. And maybe it just doesn't look like the traditional advertising, content marketing, you know, things that other people do. Yeah. Uh, the the marketers in your audience. How did you find the first, let's say, one, three, five, or ten people for swipe files? How how did this get started? Yeah, I mean, really, the the answer is is sort of anticlimactic in a way, but Twitter. So I've been uh -huh. on Twitter for a couple of years, building an audience on Twitter, and so when I first announced what I was working on with swipe files, I automatically got you know a decent amount of subscribers, the newsletter, and interest in what I was doing. And then when I officially launched, basically I had this mechanism where when it was just the teardowns, I would release the, the latest teardown for free, but then all other previous teardowns would then sort of be locked behind the gateway for the members only. And so basically I, I just said, hey, 
you know, if you want this teardown now, like the next one's coming out. And if you want to have a whole library of teardowns, you have to buy the membership. And there was, you know, these ways that I would kind of get people uh, back to those teardowns. And so, but it was all through Twitter. Like there was no uh -huh. other, I'm not on mm -hmm. any other social media platform. I never ran any ads. There really wasn't any other marketing mechanism or cross promotional thing that I did to get it in front of those people besides Twitter. And um, Twitter's been the answer for a lot of things for me between like, career opportunities, new businesses, subscribers, like Twitter's kind of like at the intersection, at the middle, at the core of like all these different things. But yeah, to answer your question, I mean, even, you know, the first 10 subscribers, the first 10 members, the first 10 visitors, all from Twitter. Mm. Twitter is kind of special, right? Twitter is also my home network. What do you think is so special? What, what makes Twitter, what, how does Twitter enable all this stuff to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I really like Twitter because I think it has all the best elements of uh, a, lot of, a lot of the different social networks. I, I purely like, if you look at it from like how it works functionally, like the mechanics, um, mm -hmm. I like actually kind of like the fleeting nature of like tweets that's just like this constant stream of thoughts because actually what that does is it, it allows you to create more freely. If I know that not everyone sees my tweets and there's a lot of other things and it's normal to tweet a lot, then I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be prolific. I'm gonna tweet a lot. I'm gonna get a lot of thoughts out there and building that yeah. muscle actually helps you build a writing habit, helps you flesh out ideas, get feedback. It helps you, you know, David Perel says that that writing is thinking. And, uh, and so mm -hmm. even just the act of getting things into Twitter as a tweet, helps me myself sort of formulate my thoughts and my ideas and my opinions and, and sort of surface my expertise as well. So I love that, that sort of mechanism. I love the follow mechanism. I think that the algorithm is pretty well curated. I love the mechanisms of retweets and comments and just like the way that things are exposed. But really, I think that the people on community on Twitter are also interesting because what Twitter lends itself to is you, you look at other social networks like Facebook and Facebook is basically like an archive. It's like, this is where I store my family pictures. And, you know, like, this is like who I am from like my really close network. And then you have Instagram, which is like a highlight reel and it's all, you know, image based. Right. Uh, yeah. And so it's yeah. like very highly curated. Like it's not really someone's real life. And then they have LinkedIn and LinkedIn is a highlight reel of sort of career career aspirations and and achievements and accolades and things that people you know are are saying that you're good at but twitter there there aren't like these a lot of these vanity sort of parts of it it very much appeals to intellectual thought and the best thought wins the best thought gets spread the most gets re the best reception and so the best thinkers are all on twitter the most the smartest people i know are on are on twitter and it's really like this information feed rather than this sort of vanity feed of images and accolades and things that are you know more highly curated so personally i like twitter because i feel like you get the realest side of someone but it's also the most useful information and and then with the mechanics of it that useful information gets spread really well so if you're a creator it's a great distribution kind of method and if you're a consumer it's a great way to receive good information Yeah, the spread uh, rate, the the organic reach is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Compared for, to Facebook, for example, Facebook in the early days also had a big reach, but after a while, you know, <laughs> you will know that you you could only reach people by ads, so right. the organic reach went down dramatically. Right. Twitter is really the only platform um, where what you create 
has like a natural ability to just kind of spread organically beyond your own followers and sort of like sphere of influence. Facebook is like just completely locked down. Like, you know, don't expect even <laughs> your friends directly to see what you post. If you have a page, it's like even lower. Facebook groups are actually pretty good. Like that's like the main way I, I advise people to mm -hmm. use Facebook these mm -hmm. days. Instagram, if you know, really only if people are following you, they're going to see your stuff. But like then the only other discovery mechanism is the explore page, which is really, really hard. It's like kind of just like happenstance if you get featured there or if people even see you there, like hashtags, I don't really know. I mean, there's other, like, how do you really get discovered on Instagram? You have to do like collaborations with other handles and other pages. Same thing with LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I think has uh, like the second best, but it's still a lot about like your followers getting some sort of like, you really need a lot of engagement for, for it to be shown to people who are not your followers or your direct connections. But Twitter, every single tweet has the opportunity to spread very organically, very virally. And even all the time, even with like comments that I make, comments will be seen by other people then bring me back to my profile and back to my other tweets. That's right. So there's just yeah. way, way better discoverability between tweets, retweets and comments and replies. It's just unmatched. I, I'm also on LinkedIn, but with my previous ego, I'm, I'm a software engineer mm -hmm. and a consultant for software engineering methods. So I have a right. big community in the B2B world. And I find it a little difficult on LinkedIn when I um, unfollow someone. That doesn't mean that the, these people unfollow me. So when I change my personality, for example, when I move into another space, that happens every two or three years these days, still the, the old audience is also following me and they are suddenly surprised by what I'm writing. On Twitter, I solved this with a second account. I, I created a new, new account, Matthias from Get the Audience. At first, I thought, should I use Get the Audience as a product name and tweet in the name of the product? I did that first, but um, after a while, it felt so artificial. I wasn't a person anymore. Right. And then I, I thought, no, I won't create a second Matthias either. But Matthias from sounded sounded good. So I, I mm -hmm. called it Matthias from Get the Audience. So it's a mixture between the person and the product now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in general, too, just a, a quick comment on that is that personal brands are way, way, way more powerful and effective than company sort of corporate brands and personas. People want to hear from people. People want to know yeah, who's behind right. the brand. And I think that you can you can do it. Like there's a couple of corporate accounts that I think are pretty good, like The Hustle, Morning Brew, Marketing Examples. Yeah. There's a few that like that actually do a good job of it. But I think they actually could have been more effective if it was if it was just like a single person, right? Or like the person behind that account. Yeah. But just in general, like you put a face on it and you put it like a real name on it and automatically your social media success is going to uh, be, or it's going to be more successful on social media. Speaking about audience development, what do you do? What do you think are the secrets uh, of successfully building an audience and having a really human connection to the, to the audience and especially over a longer period of time? What, mm. are, doing, uh, what are you doing typically to, to develop your audience further and to stay connected? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me... Let me frame it in a couple uh, of different ways. I'll, I'll probably bounce around a little bit, but the overall kind of like theme and what I've been really trying to hone in on is this phrase, earning trust at scale. Like everything that I do, that's my goal is to earn trust at scale. So if you break that uh -huh. down in, into two bits, you have earning trust and then you have at scale. So 
Trust is really interesting. Trust, I feel personally, is the crux of marketing because when you're earning trust with someone, if I trust you, then I trust that you can help me in some sort of way, right? There's some sort of mutual connection where I believe that you have something valuable for me and that I can be vulnerable with you for some sort of exchange, or I can just believe in what you're offering, whether it's information or a product or a service is valuable, right? That it could be applicable to me. But the hard part about that is that you have to earn it. It can't be bought, right? You, you don't just like yeah. buy trust over, <laughs> That's over time. Right. It has to be earned. It's really hard one. It's also easily lost. Right. So it's this really delicate thing, but it's really like that's the currency of marketing is trust. How much trust do you have? Who do you have it with? And that's where it goes to this at scale bit where um, sure I can I can earn trust with people and I can just hop on a call like this with you one by one. But that's going to take a long time. It's not very efficient. Right. And that's not really what it means to do it at scale. Right. So if I want to really build an audience, I have to figure out ways to uh, leverage kind of the age of the internet and this like one-to-many mechanism on places like Twitter or newsletters or other platforms where I can reach more people. And this is where another idea I'll introduce in is uh, sort of my next kind of big framework that I'm working on. It's called the Orb Framework, uh, where every platform, every audience building activity can be broke down into your owned platforms, your rented platforms, and your borrowed platforms. So your owned platforms oh. are all the things that you have a direct relationship with your audience where no one can tell you no and you have a direct line of communication. So that's things like email, so your newsletter, uh, your website yeah. and blog, a private community, a text message list, even a podcast because RSS feeds are sort of like an open you know, web protocol and it just goes directly into someone's feed in their podcast player. And so those are all really like foundational ways you can connect with your audience. They're the most intimate ways that you can earn trust with an audience. And ultimately that's where you want to bring everyone to is even off of places like Twitter onto an email list into a community or some sort of other way to engage with you because that way you don't have to rely on the algorithm to surface your content to them, right? That's uh, right. Press the email or you just press post in the community or you send the text message, for example, you hit publish on the podcast and then you have rented platforms. So the hard part about the own, own platforms is that it's kind of like this false start where it's chicken and egg. Like if I, I'm just be publishing into the void if no one is there. So how do I get people there in order to speak to them? Well, we have to meet them where they're already at, which is on these rented platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, right. even other external publications. Maybe like if you write a byline for Forbes or if you if you're featured somewhere else, if you if you collaborate with someone in some other way on their on their rented platform, maybe even like TikTok or or you're you're listed on somewhere else, like maybe you know a Shopify a professional app directory or Google or Chrome. Yeah. Exactly. Directory, you got it. And um, that's usually a great medium to sort of bridge the gap between, okay. I'm meeting my audience where they're at, and now I'm going to bring them to where I want them to be, which is on my owned platform. And then, but even then, with the rented platforms, it's you know you you spin up a new Twitter account and you start tweeting, and you're still kind of publishing into the void. And so you have to do some work in order correct, to yeah. get people to your rental platform. How you do that is through borrowed platforms, and this is really where collaborations come into play, where you're actually quite literally borrowing someone else's platform and saying, hey. Can I go on your podcast? Hey, can I write a newsletter for you? Hey, can I write a guest post for you? Hey, can I run a workshop for your for your community? Even thing, you know, very tactically, like 
commenting on big accounts, right? And just like making connections mm -hmm. over social mm -hmm. media. It could even just be you know, doing some sort of giveaway or, or even sponsoring, right? So this is where ads and sponsorships come into play because when you are putting money into Facebook, you are borrowing their audience, right? You're borrowing their reach. Similarly, if you're sponsoring a newsletter, you are borrowing their audience as well. And yeah. those are the ways that you build both your rented and owned platforms. So anyways, th those are the main two kind of like mental models and frameworks that I use to think about building my audience. Interesting, interesting. Yes, audience building is, is quite quite some work, isn't it? It's not for, for let's say I do it on Mondays and, and then forget about it the rest of the week. So mm -hmm. uh, you really have to show up and, and be approachable, right? Yeah, a, a bit. I mean, I think, I think it can be done uh, pretty efficiently if you have the right tools and processes and if you really focus like one of the things i've been i've been noticing talking to a lot of people so i do i'm just going to do some consulting and mentoring and coaching and so at one point i was working with like 12 different companies but now it's about five and but every single one that i've talked to everyone feels guilty about how little marketing they do like they feel <laughs> they feel bad that they don't have a tiktok strategy and that they're they should be more active on twitter and that they should You know, they've been meaning to spin up a newsletter or write this post forever, but they just haven't. And I always tell people like, look, you only need one to three like major kind of plays, playbooks, you know, strategies, channels to really invest mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And that will get you as far as you really need to go. If you do those things really well, it's better to do, you know, two things really, really well than to do 10 things pretty poorly. Right. Yeah. And so on Monday, like for me personally, I only do uh, podcasting. Twitter and my newsletter. And I, you know, I go on other people's podcasts and I'll run workshops and stuff sort of on the side. So maybe it's four, but those are the only things I do. I don't run any ads. I really don't have any other, other type of strategy or social media strategy or, or growth strategy. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And it's working well for me. It's not working amazingly well. I can't say I've gone viral or that, you know, I've had crazy growth, but it's working well enough. It's, it's definitely promising. And I think that that I've seen that translate across a lot of other people and a lot of other companies. It's good to be precise in your marketing. I'm also not doing so, so many things. Uh, it's a lot. Nevertheless, I write my, my blog posts. I write my tweets. I record podcasts. In the beginning, I transcribed them myself with, with is a lot of work after a while yep. i discovered uh, descript for example the, the transcription <laughs> feel app. like a service right aren't you glad that they marketed to you yeah absolutely and and by the way they had a fantastic video do, re do you remember the the homepage oh, yeah. video yeah. on of descript yeah so yep, you bet that's in my swipe file <laughs> that's so great And after a while, I found out that even using Descript costs me a lot of time. Now I've, I am using some the, the help of some freelancers for that. So transcribing, thank God, is now not, not so, so much a subject. And what else do I do? I add headlines into the transcript so that people can easily skim the, the transcript mm. by, by those headlines. And after a while, let's say one or two weeks later, I transform those headlines into takeaway tweets. Ah. I make a longer Twitter thread with all those take, takeaways directly below each other and a nice picture at the beginning and a link back to the original podcast and original blog post right. at the end. So this is kind of uh, content repurposing mm -hmm. thing. But besides that, 
I really try to keep building my stuff. So marketing, yeah, it doesn't take it. It does take about fifty percent of the time, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes time, and I think you know, marketing is one of those things where you really need that sort of compounding effect to to take effect. Like you, you need to just sort of put in at the time and just keep making progress, like 1% better, 1%, you know, increase in reach or 1% uh, increase in, you know, in your followers. But over time, then, you know, that with all the compounding, then you sort of wake up one day and you're like, oh, interesting. I have like a decent sized audience, right? And like things are working and like all the things that I've been doing are finally paying off. But you need that time and you also need to just keep putting in the work every day, even with marketing in general, like, I think it's the the marketing rule of seven. It's basically like the average amount of times that people need to be exposed to a product or service in order to in order to actually express interest in that thing, mm -hmm. right? Really so think you might about see an it, ad yeah. seven times on average before people actually click on it and make a purchase, right? Or people might see your face on Twitter seven times before they decide to follow you. People might visit your landing page seven times before deciding to finally you know subscribe to the, to the newsletter or sign up for the product. So you have to show up over and over and over again just to sort of satisfy that average rule of seven in order to have success. Because if you just show up once, right? Even I think a lot of people see this even when they go viral is they go viral, but it's not enough to really gain a lot of followers. You have to go viral a few times for people to actually, oh, this guy made another viral post, like another really good thing. Okay, now I'll follow him. Right. So you need that. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, that time and the consistency in your favor. On on the other hand, it has big advantage. Uh, for example, in on on Twitter, I like the possibility to ask questions to my audience, and mm -hmm. they will respond and say, "Yeah, this is a good idea." No, this is a a uh, bad idea or a so-so idea. It's it's nice to have some people to, to talk to and, and really find out whether something will help them or not. Yeah, I, I think an audience is a fascinating circle of people where, where you can really profit from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you have those people who trust you, right, then it's sort of like yeah, you have their trust. It's no matter, like, it's, not, it's no longer a, a grind to get them to click on things, to engage with things, to, to reply to your posts, to buy your products, right, because you have it. It's just a matter of earning their trust in the first place and earning enough trust at scale so that the, the economics make sense, right? But once you have it, I mean, that's why people with influence, celebrities, influencers, um, people with large Twitter accounts, like distribution is such a huge advantage because then once you have it, you can kind of, you can't sell people anything, but it no longer becomes a problem. Whereas the, the opposite problem is I have this thing that no one knows about. I need to get it in people's hands. Right. When you have the audience, you can say, what do these people need? And what do you, why do I think that they would yeah, buy? Oh, let's go fine. build that thing. And I'm just going to go give it to them. And now like automatic success, right? It's why uh, influencers and celebrities are so successful with business ventures, right? Because they have this distribution built in already. That's right. How do you keep all your your ideas in, in, in a consistent and organized way? You said uh, a swipe file or a settled custom or something. Do you have a, a special system for that? Yeah, I, I kind of split things between two tools mainly. One is Realm Research. And that's where I do a lot of my like ideation, mm -hmm. note taking, writing, just like you know general project management and organization kind of stuff as well. And then I use another tool called MyMind. And my mind is a Chrome extension that basically allows you to save anything and everything that you find around the web, both on your computer and on your on your phone. And so you you know I could go to any page and click like Add to My Mind, 
and then I, it'll like pop up say okay cool it's saved you can add a couple of tags and then later i can reference that and it makes it really easy to find it so they have a great search engine you can search through tags that you add tags are also automatically applied to a lot of things based on color or what type of thing it is that you saved whether it's like oh. a quote or a picture or a pdf or a page or where does it store these things is it stored on on local on the local machine or is it stored on the web somewhere yeah on the web within sort of your mind or your your my mind <laughs> just like your my mind <laughs> that is basically you know mymind.com or it's you know access ah, okay. my mind or something like that and then i just have everything like if i click on it right now i could search for something like twitter And now like tweets are going to pop up, articles about Twitter are going to pop up, twitter.com is going to pop up, things, images about Twitter are going to pop up. And so now I have this, you know, I can search like Twitter and I can search for something like, you know, marketing. Now here are all my marketing related Twitter items that I've saved into my mind. So uh -huh. those are the main two things. Like that's where my swipe file lives personally. It's also where I just like curate into a lot of my personal knowledge management, my, my Zettelkasten, if you will. And then I, I use a lot of that to sort of transfer it into Rome when I'm actually doing some creation. Oh. I use uh, a, a tool called Zettler. It's a, or Zettler. It's a, a German tool. I'm imagine. using the, the, the Zettelkasten method. I really like it. Linked linked items and mm -hmm. a search on search engine on on top and a Git repository below, so that I can check in and and compare to previous versions if I want mm -hmm. to. Uh, normally, I don't do that. And yeah, it helps. It really helps to me to organize. I also last week I discovered that I was making too much of a difference between building and marketing. I I tried to, or I automatically kept those two separate, and this was all always a little stressful. When I was building, I thought, hey, I need more. Mar uh, I need to do more marketing. When I was marketing, I, I thought, hey, your existing customers are expecting new features, so you should be more building. And after a while, I thought, why do I make this big difference? And my current understanding is I build little and then talk about what I've built. Then I build again and I talk about what I've built. Or sometimes mm -hmm. I talk about what I'm going to build. So building and marketing is not that much separate anymore. And the settle custom then helps me to, to keep my ideas focused and, and, and organized. Yeah. What I really found interesting about this settle custom method is that it doesn't work with categories, but with tags and the search engine. Even in the 1950s, or when when was it? When ah, I forgot his name, the inventor of the settle custom method. Uh, Las Luhmann. Yeah. Yeah. Niklas Luhmann. Even he worked with thousands of, of these settles, as he called them, the, the, the index cards. I think he had 50,000 at the end of his life, or 60,000. And he said, the meaning that you carry in your brain doesn't have categories. It's a big, like a big, large surface of meaning. And I found right. that impressive. Before I, I created folders and folders and folders and didn't find anything anymore. I'm making all those folders. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly why I use Rome in my mind, because they're both like graph-based sort of databases and I guess like The way that you discover them is not through folders. It is through, you know, graphs and connections yeah. between ideas and, and searches for sort of bits and pieces of these things that, so you can sort of uh, grasp onto them. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's huge. I mean, I'm this exact same way. Even, for example, when I was first curating a lot of the, the original swipe files material for the teardowns, you know, I'd go and mm -hmm. grab screenshots mm -hmm. and then I'd 
break the screenshots up. And then, you know, at first I categorize them by emails and ads and landing pages and that works fairly well. But then I would, now I have like 20 different categories. It's like emails, ads, landing pages. And then it's like, okay, well, what type of ad? And then like, what type of email, what type of landing page? And then like, oh, okay. soon you get like this in immense amount of complexity. And then within each one of those, there's even like subcategories, right? And so if I wanted to find right. one thing, I have to like follow this, this deep rabbit hole, trying to follow my own train of thought. Whereas I could just search, you know, competitor comparison page, right? And then I would just go directly to it, right? So I really like the graphical based kind of decentralized approach to uh, knowledge management. That's right. I like that too. When, when you think about your future, what, what do you think one year, two years from now, what, what do you want to achieve in, in 2021? for example? Yeah, great question. I think, I mean, my, my whole plan, I, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was 19 and I finally sort of started taking some of the, the, the steps of that about a, a year and a half ago and went full-time sort of for myself, quote unquote, in uh -huh. September 2020. And Swipe was kind of like this first big bet of mine where I think that by the end of the year, I had this public thousand true fans kind of experiment where I'm trying to get a thousand true fans, a thousand paid members for swipe files. And that would fully sustain me. And it's like my kind of like goal to also just test Kevin Kelly's original idea of a thousand true fans that anyone can make. Yeah, awesome. A thousand true fans. And, and from there, that would really unlock my time and sort of finances to be able to work on anything and everything I wanted to, right? Uh, it could be software and SaaS businesses, could be more additional things for swipe files, could be things completely unrelated, a YouTube channel, I have no idea. But definitely my, my first kind of that first big step is the thousand true fans for swipe files. And so that's like the main thing top of mind. Wow. I, I wish you very, very much success with it. And I thank you. I hope you, you will become so independent as you think it's uh, it, you're an independent thinker. And so yeah, it should all be dependent as well. Yeah, that's the scary part is sharing it openly. So I have swifehouse.com slash open and I have the, the count of the members and also my MRR, my monthly recurring revenue. I might add some other ones in there additionally later, but everyone can go and follow along if they want to. <laughs> they can see the progress. Very cool. Corey, it has been a, uh, a really good session today. Uh, I was uh, so happy to have you here. And as I said, I wish you much success and maybe we'll see each other uh, again in the in the community. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's fun for me. Appreciate you, you offering and uh, glad to chat. Hopefully it was helpful. Thanks for listening to the Audience Explorer podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at GetTheAudience and you can check out the blog at GetTheAudience.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out to me on Twitter or send an email to Matthias at GetTheAudience.com. If you want to support this podcast, please leave a rating in your favorite podcast player app. This will help other founders or creators to find this podcast about developing an audience for their product or service. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.